Welcome to Political OD, episode 38. It's been a couple of months since we've recorded, uh, to some extent, because sometimes you feel like it's a bit on repeat on the protocol. Uh, we're not going to start uh, on that today. I guess we'll start on the, the biggest story of the weekend, which wasn't the budget and it wasn't the protocol. It was Gary Lineker. I did watch much of the day on Saturday night. I'm not fussed either way. I really only watch it for the goals anyway. Yeah, well, I think that's what most people do. Um, I'm not sure that they tune in for the wisdom of Lineker and Shearer et al. And it's uh, become such a, you know, irrespective of whys and wherefores of what Gary Lineker said and the the kind of stupidity of his analysis and everything else. I just feel that match of the day has become a bit of a bloated mess because it goes on into the middle of the night basically <laughs> all these all these matches are given uh, a sort of an equal amount of time irrespective of how entertaining they are and it's just become less enjoyable as as time has gone on so i don't know i, I thought it was maybe an opportunity for the bbc to look at the format see how it could work better i know you know half a million uh, people or whatever it was tuned in who wouldn't normally do that i mean I, i'm i'm sure you would admit david that it was probably curiosity that uh, was a good deal, to, yes, uh, and and the fact also that it was was it a sort of twenty minute, thirty minute program yeah, rather yeah. than an hour and a half or an hour and fifty minutes or whatever it's become. If I if I watch it at all, I'll watch the first three or four games and then just switch off because the rest of it isn't that interesting. So. Yeah. Uh, and if, if you're not interested in the goals or, or the games that are going to follow up, you'll be even less interested in the kind of wisdom of the pundits and the interviews with the managers and all the other kind of things that they had to put on the long finger. Yeah, I, th- I think actually, uh, just go back on, on, on the point you made at the outset, was just the the uh, poverty of Lineker's analysis on the, on the, on the topic itself, um, which I think annoyed me more than what he said. It was just the ignorance he displayed of the political state of Britain today, but also of 1930s Germany. And it it's it kind of just made me think you know, he he's an owner, um certainly a, a, a principal investor in a in a podcast company which does uh, the rest in politics with uh Campbell and Big Ears. And um and then uh he also AKA Rory Stewart. Yes, that's him. That's him. I could never remember his name. He's not. He's not. He, he wasn't relevant when he was in in the Houses of Parliament. I'm not quite sure why uh, I should think he's relevant today. Um, but one of the uh, excellent podcasts in that stable is the rest is history uh, with uh, Dominic Sambrook and Tom Holland, uh, and they've only just completed, I think, in the past month, a series on the rise of Hitler. Obviously, a great deal of that was focused around 1930s Germany. And you would imagine that Lineker, rather than simply being quite happy to have the support of uh, an echo chamber uh, that would be the rest is politics, that he might have taken some time to listen to Dominic Sandbrook and Tom Holland talk about 1930s Germany and actually learn something? Well, I think one of the strengths of The Rest is History, and not to big up a, a another podcast, David, a, a, a rival podcast. I don't think we're a rival. <laughs> well, our, our, uh, our sellout tour is no doubt uh, in the offing. One of the strengths of, of that uh, podcast is that rather than look at something on a kind of very superficial level or through the lens of kind of current 
trends or whatever, it tends to take a longer view and tries to look at the, the social context with which some of these um, views arise. And, and, and it's, it's therefore a very compelling and interesting thing to listen to because it kind of puts some of our current um, debates in context and, and it tends to avoid easy analogies and, and people trying to saying that things are literally Hitler and, and that kind of flattening effect that social media has on our discourse. But that's obviously not something that Gary Lineker has taken on board because he's just the archetypal kind of virtue signaler who wants to give an impression on Twitter of the type of person that he is rather than really dealing with an issue in any kind of detail or looking at the whys and wherefores of, of why the government may be looking at a policy. Because, I mean, it, it, not that we want, we don't want to get into the whole small boats thing, but the policy, whether it's right or not, whether it's intended genuinely or not, because, I mean, it may be something that's more for public consumption than anything else, it's intended or the idea of it is to stop these crossings that are endangering people's lives, whether they're genuine asylum seekers or economic migrants from Albania or whatever. And the Labour uh, opposition is just as determined to take on those issues as a Conservative government. So instead of having this superficial debate about migrants as if they, they are being targeted or something, it would be nice to hear a little more of a reflection on whether the policies will work and if not, why not, rather than just, you know, trotting out these silly um, hot takes that seem to be guided more by emotion than anything else. History and indeed, uh, you know, political challenges are highly complex. Narrowing it down to everything I dislike is Hitler uh, just doesn't help public discourse, does it? No. And talking about flying emotions, uh, we've got uh, St. Patrick's Week in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, where just about everybody in Northern Ireland with an expense account seems to have headed off for a wee chit-chat and sitting at posh dinners and getting patted on the head uh, by Joe Biden. Yes, and this is at a time when the rest of the UK is digesting the latest um, budget. Uh, it's kind of depressing that rather than engaging with those key economic debates at Westminster, many of our parties, including our pro-union parties, felt it was more important to sort of schmooze with Irish Americans on their annual week of paddy whackery and kitsch or, or however you would frame it. Um, but that did lead to the sort of slightly strange spectacle of Sir Geoffrey Donaldson unveiling his first response, first substantive response anyway, to the Northern Ireland Protocol deal in Washington, D.C. And that was then something that he followed up, I think, at a press um, dinner or... A, yeah. a, I think well, I, I think he maybe gave a speech to, to the press club in Washington, oh, okay. um, kind of dealing with not the unfair points about sort of progress in Northern Ireland and the fact that when if if we actually want to get somewhere, we have to bring everyone along with us and 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 not uh, you know just push unionists objections to the protocol and, and other things that have happened since Brexit aside. Also, obviously, making a, a probably an unpopular point that you can't on the one hand support the Good Friday Agreement and then demand a unity referendum at every available stop, which is actually if if you take Good Friday Agreement at face value. Um, unity is not part of the direction of travel in the agreement. 
Well, there's this um, contradiction in the sort of Irish-American approach to Northern Ireland. On one hand, they want to sort of really exaggerate the role that the US played in bringing peace to Northern Ireland as they see it and in uh, supporting the peace process. And on the other hand, there's this uh, assumption that Northern Ireland will inevitably at some point be annexed by the Republic. And those, there doesn't seem to be any kind of appreciation that that is not uh, an aspiration that most people in Northern Ireland share. It's not an inevitability at all. And in actual fact, you know, it's also something that destabilizes the peace that people in, in Irish America are, are supposed to uh, be promoting. Uh, all our politicians have been over there. It looks like all their politicians are coming over here in a couple of weeks' time. Hillary's on her way with with <laughs> Bill uh, for a great big party at Queen's University. I saw, which is largely going to focus on um, the women's coalition and uh, <laughs> having everybody having a big sort of group hug and patting themselves on the back. But then it's it's just Queen's University at the moment. You know, she's Chancellor. She's obviously uh, a name that they hope to get funding from. Uh, philanthropists or something to keep their George Mitchell School of Peace going or something, whatever it's called. Well, it's kind of getting the gang back together again. You're talking about Yay! people Women's Coalition who managed to carve out a sort of brief relevance at that time and they've been defining themselves by that ever since. I mean, you hear Jane Morris um, regularly on, on the radio. <laughs> yes, you do. It always so, brightens up my morning when Jane Morris comes on, on Nolan. It just... Yeah, yeah. Well, precisely so. But I mean, I suppose it gives them um, a feeling that they did something significant and that they're still relevant and they'll all have a good old back slapping session at, at Queen's and the canapes will be delicious. I'm sure they will. No expense spared. That will be the latest, I suppose, another event where the DUP will round, be rounded on um, that they really need to go back in the institutions and just forget all about this constitutional and uh, economic nonsense um you know they need to get back to just keeping the show on the road what we've seen and we talked about this last october and again in january that what we were likely to see in terms of any agreement that was mooted back then uh between the uk and the eu that whatever was going to come it would follow the same pattern of uh, announcement uh, there'll be a pile-in to get the DUP on board and kind of nudge it into having to accept things. There would be a Belltel poll. There would be a Belfast Telegraph poll by Lucid Talk. There always is, uh, which would no doubt uh, be very favourable in some sense or other at some point, and anything that wasn't would be ignored to one side. Uh, and then there would be press releases and um, civic announcements, uh, business announcements, The uh, lots of people from the third sector all saying how awful it would be if we never got back so that people could give them more money uh, for doing whatever they do, but nobody's quite sure. You know, I, I think that pattern that we had expected has largely been followed. Uh, I think it's all about, yes. you know, don't actually look at any details. Don't look at the principles or the issues involved. Just go back to work and let's pretend everything is doing well. Let's pretend the Good Friday Agreement is delivering whatever it is delivering. It's certainly not good government. It has been. And I mean, we did call it, David. The thing is, um, 
you you have more time for some of the analyses where people have come out and said, look, there are very profound problems with this. But on the other hand, it has some merits and they are as follows. And, and then and sort of looking at it in that way. But we knew that this was going to happen because we're just so wearily familiar with the template. I mean, it goes back to new decade, new approach, and even before that, where there's this kind of excitement generated by a new deal, whatever it is, and there never seems to be any kind of pause to consider what it actually entails or whether those things are advantageous to Northern Ireland or not. And um, you, you saw the same throughout the entire Brexit negotiation process where we were told that Theresa May's deal was going to be a super thing for us. Uh, the protocol was going to be the best of both worlds. And now it's this, now it's this deal that's the best thing that we can ever get until... We well, get weren't we told the Northern Ireland Protocol was the best we were ever going to get? And now we've exactly. got the best of the best. And I, I don't see why the DUP shouldn't hang out for the best of the best of the best of the best. One of those things that you just, you despair of the obvious nudge process that, that continues time and time and time again. You might have some sympathy for the DUP generally at everybody piling in on top of its head. But it's been complicit in this time and time again when Peter Robinson was first minister. I mean, he rolled over time and time again to keep the show on the road. Wasn't it called rolling response or something at one stage? Mm -hmm. Simply to, uh, at some point, come back. There was a hint that Jeffrey was actually entering that whole process again with this panel that he set up. Largely DUP people who would be, I, I guess, you know, supportive of anything he did, frankly. And then you have a businessman who seemed to be happy enough to accept compromise with Theresa May's backstop. Um, you've got a solicitor who last year told MPs that a, a deal on the protocol was needed to counter momentum for paramilitaries, whatever the hell that means. He was out there. And then you've got, got um, you know, Arlene, um, who basically you know, accepted the protocol, I think, uh, you'd have to say, even after 2019 in the election, it was alongside Boris. I didn't hear the big issues going rolling down to 2020 at the end of the deal. While she was first minister, the buildings that were necessary for checks were being built. You had uh, Edwin Poots on the one hand uh, stopping that bit of it, but at the same time writing letters to Westminster and saying, uh, this protocol, you see these farming things, we need to keep those in place. We need to keep, you know, I mean, it it was just shambolic uh, in that period. And then, of course, back to Robinson himself, who, as we say, just kept rolling over to keep the show on the road. And if your end point is keeping the show on the road, you've got very low expectations and you would never be disappointed at what um, that period achieved. But that period achieved absolutely nothing for the country in terms of good government, and achieve nothing for unionism, because here we are. Sorry, that was a bit of a yeah. rant. <laughs> I know that, well, you're right, David, because, I mean, the DUP has been portrayed as this kind of uh, intransigent behemoth that just won't move um, at any juncture, and that's just not accurate at all. And indeed, um, it sees itself as a kind of a wheeling and dealing uh, business, but uh, it, it's also a creature of Stormont and has been desperate over the, the years to keep um, Stormont going at all costs. I mean, you, you mentioned Arlene Foster there as well. Arlene was the leader who 
um, agreed to implement a regulatory border so long as there was um, uh, so long as uh, Northern Ireland stayed in in the UK's customs uh, territory and that was what gave Boris Johnson the nod to go ahead and negotiate the protocol so I mean she had a role in um, creating all of this all of this stuff I believe Sir Geoffrey Donaldson as well after that was you know still promoting the idea that it could be the best of both worlds in the February a month or uh, six weeks after the the protocol had been uh, put in place so the I mean yes it, it it, it's just, it's exceptionally concerning. And the, the DUP told us, I think it was since probably July 2021, since the middle of 2021, that it would uh, subject any deal to these seven tests that it had formulated. And the seven tests seemed to give a fair bit of wriggle room. But now it's sort of outsourced that task to this panel, even though, but you know, the panel is yet to respond but sir jeffrey donaldson's indicating from washington that perhaps the the agreement doesn't address the issues that he'd raised in the seven tests so where what's the, point of, what's the point of the panel what, then what's, what's the point of the pan panel where are we going with all of this uh what is the dup's suggestion for the next steps we we need to know you know if it was coming back maybe with one or two very clear demands saying, for instance, we need to get uh, dual regulation for goods in, in Northern Ireland. Uh, that is, aside from, from food and medicines, we need to have everything treated like that. Maybe then you could sort of see where it was going and what it was trying to achieve. But uh, at the moment, I just get the sense that there's a great apprehension that if they accept the deal, that they'll pay the price at the polls uh, in the forthcoming uh, elections in May. Um, but at the same time, uh, they are eager to get themselves out of the position that they're currently in. And of course, they're, they're boycotting yeah. the institutions at Stormont. Yeah, I think at the moment, the DUP are really at that point where they've reached the end of the road in terms of simply being, everybody knows the play. Everybody knows the sort of the way this is done and way this has happened. That's why... Uh, the panel with Robinson taking the lead on that has been so criticised and there's an expectation it's about to be another rollover because that has been the pattern. And in many ways, if Jeffrey is going to take leadership, he really has to break that pattern, to break the mould uh, and to come in with something considerably more decisive and considerably more um, like the leadership that unionism uh, expects and indeed, unionism deserves. Yes. I mean, we, we did know that, for example, coming out of Stormont, it made a it made logical sense that, first of all, I mean, as you've kind of intimated, it was at a, they, they did it at a strange point uh, in the cycle because the sort of justification for it was that they were being asked to implement the Irish Sea border. But they were already implementing the Irish Sea border, and really, it would have made more sense to come out of Stormont and said, "Look, we're not doing this. We're not putting in place a border in our own country. So, therefore, we're coming out whenever we, whenever that was first asked asked of them." And I mean, you've implied as well that there were issues with Edwin Poots and so on, and farming and 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 all the rest of it. There was this kind of problem for the DUP that the longer this boycott went on, without showing some results uh the more it was going to look like failure 
And I suppose there is some kind of thought there that because there was a negotiation that it was claimed would never happen, that therefore um, it can claim some kind of victory at this point. But, you know, people are going to need an awful lot uh better explanation than they're currently getting for that and also they you know they they need some leadership themselves because um you know people are waiting to to hear what the DUP thinks of this and 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 waiting to have some interpretation of the deal that's set in front of them and at the moment all they're hearing um is third sector organizations the Belfast Telegraph promoting it um and various uh, other sort of commentators who, who desperately want there to be a deal and aren't really bothered about what it contains. The DUP really is running out of road in terms of uh, seeding the leadership on this and it needs to get its act together and start um, making some um, comprehensible statements uh, pretty soon. I mean, for the rest of unionism, uh, I guess Jim Allister uh, has uh, decided, as, as would be expected, the Ulster unions seem to be just waiting around for whatever the DUP says, and then Godo. yeah, waiting for Godo. There, there is a lack of where do we go from here? You know, it's all right saying no, that's an easy thing, but the the art of politics is is to actually try and create something um, from whatever your uh, conditions are, um, uh, and and seeing a way to move forward. People want to move on; they want to move forward. You know, and and the one issue that we were we're maybe we've we've strayed away from or, or or deliberately not got into is the legacy issue, and that's another issue that's a hangover from Peter Robinson's days with the Stormont House Agreement, which I think again Jeffrey was part of, um, which has uh, simply not provide. Well, it was an awful agreement, absolutely diabolically awful agreement, in any sense, and will end up uh, with Parliament basically passing something that's going to be a muddle. Uh, because again, it's one of those things. I suspect that Sunak um, and his woefully poor uh, Secretary of State uh, in Northern Ireland will simply want to see done, um, and it's it's setting up a pattern with this Conservative government of simply doing things so it can tick a box rather than actually doing uh, something that is 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 constructive and gives people confidence that there is a way forward in the future. Well, the legacy debate was always, you know, this tremendously complicated thing that was sitting in the background and was going to be extremely difficult to sort out. And I did think that initially the government's proposals might have had some potential to, you know, at least um, get over some of these issues. But I mean, the statements that we've seen lately from the likes of Lord Kane and uh, all the rest of it haven't been so hopeful at all. Yeah. But just to sort of kick it back to the protocol. I think you could start to see more hope in a way through this. If, for instance, the, the thing that disappointed me most about the DUP's response, uh, for example, when we're recording this, um, David, it was yesterday that we finally got a statement from the DUP saying that there were issues with the framework that um, it had and it, there were problems that it didn't solve. But rather than express, expressing those things in the abstract and uh, sort of going to talk about, you know, legislation, whether it be the Act of Union or whether it be um, the legislation that was put in place after a new decade, new approach and, and protections for the internal market, they need to start being very clear about what it is that the framework does, that it objects to and what it would like to see. 
um, in its place. Because if you speak in these abstractions and you always try to give yourself wriggle room, you know, you're never going to resonate with the, the general public and have them uh, on your side because people need to know what what's the issue and and why. Exactly. Um, and I think we'll be coming back here uh, maybe after Easter, uh, looking back at the uh, the Good Friday festivities um, and uh, then looking forward to the local council elections, which are coming up quite quickly in May. Yeah, well, I'll be sending out my Good Friday agreement card shortly, uh, so that's something to look forward to, getting the turkey in. I thought it would be spring lamb, but... Uh... <laughs> maybe. maybe. <laughs> anyway, uh, enough of that. Um, uh, I'll speak to you soon. Bye now. Cheers, Mark.